Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. This week, the Shire goes there and back again in retrospective LeBeouf biopic Honey Boy. And we speak to its director, Alma Harrell. Plus, a three-hour Chinese epic that's so long, my son. I'm Jake Cunningham, and joining me to talk about this sweet double bill, the honey-tongued Kelly Powell. Hello. The queen bee, Caitlin Quinlan. Hello. And the positively waspish, (laughs) Sam Howlett. Hello. Hello, everyone. How are we doing? Good, thanks. Good. How are you? Yeah, it's all right. It's a little bit chilly. Um, cold, isn't freezing. It? Yeah, it's very, very cold. Out How was the weather in Japan, Ooh, where you've been? Oof. Uh, wet. Like, <laughs> really? Yeah, lots and lots of rain. There was um, one day of actually, there was one day of sun where it got to twenty degrees, and we were walking in t-shirts, and then the next way it dropped to four degrees. <laughs> oh, um, the environment. Very you know, cool. Yeah, scary <laughs> weather. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, a lovely couple of films to protect ourselves from the weather in at the cinema this week. Uh, we'll start with So Long, My Son, which is uh, Wang Xiaoshui's film that explores the impact of China's one-child policy. Uh, it spans from the 1980s to the present day, regularly shifting back and forth in time. And it details the changing fortunes of a family and those around them, and just how this government policy has consistently affected their lives across three decades. Uh, that that sound, makes it sound huge, uh, and at three hours and five minutes, it certainly is so. But uh, as much as it is epic, this is this is an intimate film as well. Um, how does So Long My Son do both of those things? I think you know it helps that the film is very elliptical and non-linear. So it will have one scene, and then the next scene, without warning, will skip forward to 10 years, and then the scene after that will skip back 20 years. And there will be no title card to There will be no warning. There won't be 10 years later or, you know, 2005. There's none of that. It's literally you just have to work out for yourself based on what you've seen before and use your own intuition to pick up on things of what's happened to these characters. And the film, I think, is kind of like a puzzle, not in the way that you have to figure out a mystery or anything. It's just that you have to put one piece... Uh, in a time not in order until eventually at the end you have a whole picture and you can really see everything from a kind of bird's eye view because as it happens you're very much on the ground with these people not knowing what's happened to them or what's going to happen to them or this and that so it really gets you involved in the film and makes you really sort of pay attention to it trying to figure out the the order of what how, what's happening to these people 
Yeah. Yeah, like it it draws you in in such mm. a in such a way that like by the end of it you are with them. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like they put you 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 you're in the story because you're trying to work it out and you're trying to figure who's who's what where and in the beginning it's a bit of a mystery what you know because obviously something tragic happens near the beginning of the film um and you and you and then you're not quite it skips ahead and then you're like what happened like mm-hmm. and you and then by the end of the film you're so you are so in, engrossed in the mm-hmm. story and these people that you've just completely empathized with them and, and it makes their story all the more like heartbreaking and yeah um yeah it hits you hard i think there's some in, really interesting cuts that are made that kind of suggest it could go one way but then actually plays out in another mm-hmm. way so you get this really kind of expansive look at all the various routes and possibilities that life can take in a very kind of like philosophical way um so closely tied to these characters who are just so kind of expressive expressively subtle i think like there's something really just moving about really slight changes in facial expression mm. that that they manage to convey but there's yeah there's just this really kind of beautiful maneuvering i think of just all the sort of paths that life can take you down and you think it might be going one way you think you're all, you think you know them well enough by one point and you think you're in a certain year then you realize actually no we've we've jumped even further or mm. we've gone back so yeah as you say you really do have to follow them closely and become so tied to them as characters to know what's going on mm. but it makes for such a lovely viewing experience mm. and it's a really smart storytelling technique to use something like intrigue or mystery when it's not necessarily about that as a story but they're using that within your edit to hook people so that they are kind of subconsciously getting more more invested in these characters because they are having to force themselves to think about this story yeah and so speaking of the way it kind of you know is so epic and wide-spanning but also so intimate so you mentioned in your synopsis the one-child policy. The film is not about the one-child policy at all. The film just has, like, that is a major incident that affects the family of the film in one way. So the film is really good at sort of painting a picture of what Chinese life was like across those 30 years with the one-child policy, with the Cultural Revolution, with all these different factors going on in the background. But ultimately, it's just how those things have slightly affected these people's lives. And as Caitlin was saying, it's put them on one particular path. Mm. And it 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 doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like a overwhelming sweeping epic. It feels like the most intimate kind of character um, exploration that you can find. Mm. Yeah, but in the same way. You know, you said something else that it is quite—it's quite philosophical in its in its approach. Yet it deals with the mundanity of life, yes. which is it's it's mm. when when those two when you can when you can watch someone you know go to work and go to the factory and and cook, and you're so mm. you it it just it it has this yeah. beautiful way of of making you feel like um you know whoa life's about a little bit more than <laughs> yeah it's so it's so visually stunning it's and amazing. compelling as well like the colors that come out from just even like a bus or like the factory like mm. there's re- real like deep greens yeah. and like bright yellows at certain points and it's yeah there's even j- just like the cameras that they must have used the cinematography is to- is completely beautiful um you, you really just sort of like engage with this world in so many ways so over the course of three hours you're not you know, you're not really feeling that time. No, it doesn't just, feel like it at all. You're, yeah. it's, it's almost like reading a really rich novel. It like has yeah. that same kind yeah, of absolutely. feel to it, I 100%. think. Yeah. And I'm, 
really interested in the the editing of this because it's obviously a, a big choice to make this so non-linear and because so much of this film is rooted in family and memory i wonder whether that is that technique is doing more than just breaking up the narrative to keep it spicier for audience to keep them engaged to keep them questioning it whether there's something more interesting it's doing about the way that we link events and that how one thing can inform each other and put us down a certain pathway but how we will also look back at the way things are connected yeah and i think the film makes a really bold choice in playing the tragedy that kind of Mm. marks the film by playing that scene really early on and most films would have like hints of what's happened there and build up to it, even through flashback. But yeah. this one point blank shows you what happens really, even though there is some intrigue around it, but it point blank shows you the basically what's happened there. And then it takes a while to sort of readdress that later on. But when they do bring that scene back every now and then, it is in such a clever relation to the scene that's just preceded it. Mm. And, and it's from, I think, different people's perspectives. Yeah, different yes. perspectives. Yeah. 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 They come yeah. back at it and the memory's different yeah. in, the, in the way that, that, that the audience is told yeah. what's happened. There, there's a line that the, the sort of the main, I think it's, I can't remember if it's the mother or the father, but the main, somebody in the main couple says at one point where they say, you know, time's already stopped for us or something along those lines. Yeah. And I think that really is what sums it up, that, you know, they've, I think it's also it's also interesting looking at looking at it in relation to how trauma affects people and totally. it is that idea of you know this trauma has stopped their lives at a moment in time but everything still has to go on around it so as you say it's like coming back to that moment from different perspectives different angles different people's memories of it mm. constantly draws them back but it it also is always related to the world that's still moving yeah. and still has to go yeah. on the people that they love and that have you know experienced it with them still have to um still have to move on and and do things I think actually what's really interesting not to kind of spoil too much but there's um, a sort of they're they're friends who really struggle to get over the trauma Mm -hmm. that has in some ways not directly affected them as much as it's directly affected the other couple but they're the ones that really struggle and that have this constant battle with moving past what's happened to their friends I think that's really interesting it is yeah and also going back to the editing it's it's he, such a it's such a strong choice to make it, it's almost like yes time has stopped for the central couple mm. and their stillness throughout the film yes. is so poignant mm. Be, and that's also why it takes you a while to work out where you are in what decade because they're so even though they've aged and the makeup is another story like it's brilliant yeah. in this film so, so subtle, subtle yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and well done um but you know, you kind of like they—they they feel like the same people. Yeah. You, they, they, you, 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 you don't see how they've changed in a way because maybe they haven't. Yeah. Because they've it's stopped. not something they'll yeah. ever get over. You yeah. Know? It's like, yeah. They've exactly. exactly. They've stopped themselves. Yeah. yeah. So the performers are um, Wang Jingcheng and Yong Mei, who both won the Best Actor and Best Actress at Berlin last year. They're incredible. They're phenomenal. Yeah. So good. They really carry this film. They're in, they, you know, they go from, yeah, across 30 years effortlessly. Mm. It's incredible performances. Mm-hmm. Well, um, that one's in cinemas and on home. And home cinema. Yeah. Uh, so not so easy to take yeah. three hours plus trailers out of your day sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, stick that one on at home if you want to. And I was thinking, actually, this is a good one. I think it's, uh, talking about just then has reminded me that it's very similar in, for me to Roma. In the way that you have yeah. this long passage of time, yeah. 
and and in the background you have these events that were happening at the time in Mexico and but they the film's not about that it's about the people right at the front of the action mm. and the way that life just has these one little incident can put you down a whole different path and this idea of sort of getting through that moment and that's all in Roma and that's all in here as well. Mm. All right, what a double bill. <laughs> all right, um, so now it's time to move on to our next film. Uh, didn't quite take an all spark to transform Shia LaBeouf, <laughs> but he's gradually become one of the most interesting American actors working today uh, and no more so evident than in Honey Boy. Uh, this is directed by Alma Harrell in her first foray into narrative fiction, having previously directed the documentaries Bombay Beach and Love True. Uh, Honey Boy is written by Shia LaBeouf whilst he was in rehab and is a retelling of his experience as a child actor, his tumultuous relationship with his father, who LaBeouf actually plays a proxy of here, uh, and his own reconciliation with these experiences. Uh, Caitlin, you, you spoke to Alma Arell about this one and we'll, we'll talk to her in just a little bit. Um, but I think it's worth getting a little bit of background on all the, the key collaborators here. Um, had you seen her documentaries before this? Yeah, so I've seen Bombay Beach, um, which is a really interesting documentary about um, a specific community in this small town in America, quite sort of impoverished communities. Um, but what Harrell does is she kind of depicts their lives uh, set to music in lots of ways. So she uses Bob Dylan um, and the band Beirut to kind of soundtrack their um, their existences in this in this really small community. And it's a, just a very beautiful um, kind of exploration of how art and music and you know lives can be really interwoven um so I, I i'd enjoyed that and i actually think there are certain elements of honey boy that you can really feel that influence in as well um but she'd also made i think she'd worked on a lot of music videos before and short films um and a lot of that kind of artistry does does carry through into honey boy i think yeah she's a very um rhythmically led yes. filmmaker um love true her second documentary after bombay beach was produced by shia labeouf and mm-hmm. that's um where they because um, he had seen Bombay Beach and they got to know each other. And then as part of an exercise in his rehabilitation after um, drunk driving conviction, um, LaBeouf's therapeutic process was to write out his trauma from mm-hmm. when he was spending time living in a hotel, a motel with his, his dad when he was working on Even Stevens. Um, and he then brought that film to Alma Harrell. And that's what we've ended up with with Honey Boy. Um, now, when this was first announced as Shia, Shia LaBeouf <laughs> is writing a film about his own life and he's playing his own dad and Lucas Hedges is playing him, um, it kind of, it feels like a prank. It sounds like a something an SNL version of Shia LaBeouf would do <laughs> rather than the real thing. Yeah. Because uh, he's such a, he's become such a bizarre, like, figure in the film industry. You know, like as you say, even Stevens <clears throat> and then... He was in Transformers and he was making his way up the sort of Hollywood ladder and then he started doing like pulling his teeth out on the set of Fury and then wearing a paper bag over his head at the premiere of Nymphomaniac and doing those with these weird art installations with himself and then like filming himself watching all of his films in reverse order and then he had the hotline where you could call him up oh, and yeah. talk to him. He got very into performance art. Yeah. yeah. But he just became this like this sort of figure. Oh, yeah. And then obviously he had his troubles with, uh, you know, addictions and things like that. And so, yeah, this this felt, felt like a really strange move, um, but it sounds like a good one. <laughs> yeah, and I think this is maybe where 
that strange path has been leading him. You yeah. look at mm. look at what he's been doing in his performance art world stuff, like particularly the All My Movies project, which was felt like a very cathartic thing. Yeah, um, yeah. like I loved watching that. Oh um, yeah, I watched. Yeah. I remember watching him live, watching his films. For yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and it was really like when he would like he would watch so, like he might see something in it that like reminded him of something and mm. would yeah. look really emotional or re- like a, a wonderful memory something and really moving would, about it yeah, yeah. it was actually yeah, yeah it wasn't a joke anymore no I think someone he's, reflecting on their life yeah the, the, I mean as you say like the premise of Honey Boy does sound a bit kind of like oh god you know but it, I think he's he must be so aware that that set him up as somebody very easy to mock and very yeah. easy to mm. kind of you know ridicule because of his you know the way that he's expressed himself I guess and tried to work past these demons but I think Honey Boy actually is like the culmination of all of that in a way mm. and like in and it's delivered really really beautifully so it all it all pays off um and yeah so uh when I spoke to Alma Harrell we kind of were discuss we, we discussed her uh interactions with Shia and actually their kind of meeting was quite serendipitous which I think is quite nice um so yeah enjoy Alma Harrell Alma Harrell, welcome to the Curzon Film Podcast. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So we're here to talk about uh, your film Honey Boy, um, which was written by Shia LaBeouf and also stars him. I wanted to start by talking about your collaboration with him. I know you work together on um, the Sigur Ross music video. True. Um, so if you could just explain maybe how you came to work together. Um, I think it started all started I, when I made my first film, Bombay Beach, which mm-hmm. was a documentary and it won the Tribeca Film Festival and um, got kind of a, a a small release with Focus Films and then ended up as a DVD in Amoeba Records in the wrong section. <laughs> um, they by mistake put it at the Bob Dylan section of documentaries because it had music by yeah. Bob Dylan, even though it was about the Salton Sea in California and people who live there and Shia ended up picking it up randomly, mm. uh, watched it and contacted me to my website and said that we should probably meet and um, you know, try to do something together, and we did meet. And two weeks later, I think we already did our Sigurás music videos w- video, which was mm. extremely personal in many ways, and kind of dealt with you know the perpetuation of drugs and and abuse and relationships and all of those things that plague us sometimes. Uh, <laughs> and um, after that, I made my second film, Love True, and I couldn't get financing for it. And he stepped in and ended up financing it and being an executive producer on it. Um, so that was a very generous act. And years later, he got court ordered to go to rehab mm-hmm. when he was dealing with his own alcoholism and got diagnosed with PTSD. And um, when while he was there, he was... Uh, ordered to write his memories and they came out in the form of a of a script really mm-hmm. and he sent it to me from there and we started going back and forth and discussing it and uh workshopping it and, and i i really felt it should be a film and that he should play his own father mm. and um that's how it all kind of started mm. and here we are now yeah and I, I guess maybe that having that background of quite you know a personal relationship between the two of you already yeah. maybe you know did that help um when you were adapting his his own life his own script you know it's one thing to adapt somebody somebody yeah. else's writing of a you know a fictional story but but somebody's life you know did that did that help do, do you think with the 
Yeah, I think it helped. I think that it takes a certain amount of trust to enter your own trauma while playing, you know, the person you love, but that also is is probably... Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One of the more controversial relationships you had in your own family and... um, it helped it. It had a lot of perspective on, on what he was going through and it was um and I was I think willing to go through whatever painful process it will yield, um, to make this film. And it was very painful at times and scary and, you know, intense, but it was also just one of the most artistic explorations that I've ever had and mm. the deepest relationships that I've ever had. So I uh, cherish all of it, mm. all the all the all, all that it offered. <laughs> Were there any specific lessons that you really felt you took away from this film as a as a filmmaker, and I guess just as a as a human? <laughs> wow, um, I think I think that um, really one of the things that I took most from it is. I have my own relationship, I guess, with um, alcoholism because my father, who I love very much, is an alcoholic, and I've spent a big part of my life trying to understand that relationship and tr- trying to understand addiction and having a lot of hope for, uh, you know, the the change, that, that moment everything changes, the moment that a person would stop drinking and everything is going to be okay is like mm. something that you really wait for as a child mm. and i think that over the years growing up and becoming an adult you understand that certain people are going to have a lifelong struggle and that you can um be be part of it as a friend or as an artist um or as a family member um while also having a relationship your own relationship with Mm -hmm. art you know and addiction and all of those things so it was sort of not a you know a simple answer but i think that it gave me a lot of insight into Mm -hmm. all of those relationships that have been a part of my life yeah and um I suppose this was your first kind of move into um, feature length f- fiction or, you know, I suppose you're crossing that boundary again between um, nonfiction and, and fiction. But you've worked Yeah, in which is something I'm really passionate yeah. about and I feel like really should be 
sort of approached with uh, less defined lines, mm. you know, in terms of how we look at, in general, documentary and reality and, and scripted and people and good and bad mm. and all of those things are kind of very much, I think, fall a lot of times into the cliches of yeah. needing to put people in boxes and genres. I think that's something the film does really well. You know, you, you can't, there's no clear sort of line that says that, you know, his dad is a bad guy and there's it's very kind of delicate, treads very delicately, I think, to sort of um, depict that character really wonderfully. Um, when you're approaching a film as a filmmaker, did, you know, with this one, was there anything you started to do differently? Um, or do you kind of have the same approach to, you know, music video, documentary? Um, how, what's the kind of filmmaking process like for you? I mean, yeah, it's my first scripted film, so mm. I would say like I had to learn a lot about how to tackle the beast, but it's uh, <laughs> definitely not something that I approached by any you know book or mm. anything, and I've never went to film school, and I've never really been into this process, so I just approach it in a very personal way, as I do with all my work, like kind of taking it a step at a time and seeing what feels right and very intuitively. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't storyboard anything other than sequences that needed to have, you know, major visual effects or things like that, yeah. like explosions and car yeah. accidents and very ambitious parts of the film that kind of refer to the sets that he was part of. Um, and then in terms of the acting itself, definitely kind of was a combination of rehearsing a lot, a lot for weeks and weeks and working with each actor in a method that seemed very right for them. Mm -hmm. Each one of them was different. And um, Lucas and me worked with um, um, a coach um, that was um, working through actually dream work. Um, and, you know, the other actors had other things that they um wanted to do so it was very very intuitive and each person kind of had his own glove that fitted mm. and then um yeah i mean i think then shooting itself it was also important for me to have like things that are very stylized or very um much come from the world of cinema and mm -hmm. comment on the world of cinema and that he's been part of but then veer into um really letting actors improvise and yeah. getting into a room and shooting it and, and lighting it in a way where you can kind of cover it as if it's a documentary. Yeah. So I think the film has both, you know, mm. and like the the challenge was how to do that in a seamless way mm. where you can be kind of cinematic and dreamy or, or you know, comment and meta, a little yeah. meta about the whole thing and then be very truthful and honest and almost feel like you're documenting somebody's memory. Um, and I think we really succeeded in, in bringing all of those worlds together, which is what I'm most excited about this mm. film. <laughs> um, and I think it's, it's clear in all your work that, you know, music is of great importance to you. Um, and I'm curious to, as to how you kind of build a musical landscape for a film or what was the kind of process of coming up with the soundtrack for Honey Boy? Um, and does it, you know, do you go into these projects feeling a certain mood or a tone that you want the music to reflect? Yeah, I mean, I definitely had a very, very specific mood that I had in mind and like kind of ideas for it, but I wasn't, um, you know, capable of necessarily expressing it until I got into the room with Alex Somers, who did the the music for this, and um, um, Zach Shields, my friend, who came in and helped with some of the some of the composing um, and the thing that led me the most in this film was a 
metaphor I had that I worked with all the time, which is of actually Pinocchio, who is <laughs> okay. like kind of hanging from a marionette. Yeah. And really reminded me of all the, you know, harnesses that I, Shia has been kind of tied to and hanging from. And I wanted to capture some of this, uh, some of these like sounds that come from that world and also the world of the circus that his father being a rodeo clown mm -hmm. has and, and a lover of mine brought into it. So we built a soundscape that was... And, and a lot of the, a lot of the music, other than the piano and the strings, a lot of the music came from all these sounds we recorded of all these little toys and little cranks and little uh, uh, follies and like things mm -hmm. like that. And then um, finding a way again to blur the line between music and uh, you know sound, mm -hmm. just like actual sound where you don't know if the sound is coming from the music or from the actual harness that is moving, you know, or things yeah. like that. So that was like kind of one of the, the biggest technical, <laughs> I guess, uh, explorations we had. And, and we, I think, managed to do something really special and hope that the soundtrack is going to come out very soon when the film is released. Mm. Um, and I guess just to kind of wrap up following on from that point a little bit, um, I think something that I really rem remember from Bombay Beach is the kind of opening uh, introductions to the people that you're filming. And in a way, you kind of give them their own mini music videos, I think, um, right. in, the, in the sort of segments at the beginning. Um, and I think there's something really lovely about that <laughs> because a lot of people spend their lives thinking, oh, you know, this scene is it's like happening in a music video. Or, you know, you right. sit in a, you look out a car window and you feel like you're in a music video. And I wonder if that's kind of how you look at filmmaking or if that's a philosophy that you've kind of adopted you know giving these people a chance to just live in a world of kind of music and joy um i think that i think that uh it's an interesting question because i do feel in my own life a lot of times music have been you know and i think all of us like kind of like you're saying we listen to music and then we're so, sort of feel like we're in our own mm. Um, you know, musical or music video or film or something like that. Um, I, I feel that I, it's important for me sometimes to capture people in the context of, of music, but also dance and movement because I just find the those things to tell stories and say things that words can't. Mm -hmm. So it's almost um, just another, you know, uh, paintbrush in, in, I guess, my... <laughs> you know my toolbox yeah. uh, you could say and um and i also feel that people themselves often like you're saying or characters um there's a way to capture something of their essence or tell their story in a, in a better way through music than than through just another line of dialogue yeah that's great thank you so much for chatting to us um, and all the best for the film thank you thank you november 8th <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you, Alma. Um, I just want to start by going into the, the, the absolute opening of this film, um, where there is a lot of uh, clapper boards and spinning cameras and chaos. Yep. And I think it's a great uh, injection of how to read this film. Yeah, I Be think it really opens with a bang. Um, and for me, I think as somebody who kind of grew up with a show like Even Stevens and had has kind of seen Shia LaBeouf move from yeah child child star into exactly what we've just been talking about through those traumas um there was something that in this opening that immediately connected me back to him and back to a kind of younger version of myself as well that was sort of 
it, it didn't it made me immediately not want to reject him I was so in in the film and kind of you know yeah really kind of tied in a nostalgic way to to him and and his kind of younger character which I think really sets this film up nicely because you are you're immediately softened to him um and, and there's no kind of abrasion or or rejection of his you know his sort of past yeah, mm. uh, you know your past perceptions of him, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, it does. It it shows you the grim stuff, the stuff that made headlines um, and made him appear in cell blocks. Yes, um, that's all covered within this quite amazing spinning montage at the start. Uh, and I mentioned these clapperboards that come up, um, which we would recognise as the the start of a take uh, in a scene, but they will they show real events here they appear before that and to me that is setting up this kind of dream logic uh smashed memory therapy feeling that the whole film is going for that we we will recognize these as events that happen to someone but we also recognize them as filmed events that they are something that we witness through screens whether that's through cinema or whether that's through news footage or anything like that and that is exactly the experience that LaBeouf is bringing to this as well he's writing this out not as it happened he is writing this as a film and we are constantly reminded of that fact as well um, and it, it's it's really interesting in those moments when it does play around with uh, bending the reality of it when we have a, an older version of a character interacting with a younger version of a character mm. when people that could not have existed in the same place interact mm. with each other and it is that idea of I mean, Rocket Man did this obviously in the most extreme, <laughs> bizarre, melodramatic way yeah. with young Elton John at the bottom of a swimming pool talking to old Elton John who turns into a rocket and flies away. It's not that, no. but it's certainly touching on ideas of trauma and fame mm. in a similar way. I'm interested. Uh, I'm interested in it as a piece of like almost his therapy. So mm. to see it, it's interesting that you know almost to engage with your own past trauma you have to mm. dissociate and it's it's one it's like peeling back the layers of yeah. of of his past you know it's like this is me but it isn't me it's me inside a frame inside a frame it's yes. like it's, it's like me watching myself me watching myself yeah. doing the yeah exactly mm. but but in it as well yes like, exactly it, like yeah. he, <laughs> he plays his dad yes um and he's so he's interacting with Noah Jupe who plays young uh, Otis, Otis is the the name that he adopts for this film, um, and Otis and James, that's the dad's name. Uh, their relationship is amazing in this. Like you really feel um, every positive and negative in that as well. Like, yeah, the intimacy between them is beautiful. Like the the way that they sync up with each other. Like there is bits of just watching them juggle. Mm. And the way that like, flipping beanbags between each other and just carrying on a conversation like that. And you can tell just how much time they spent yeah. with each other, how much they've learned from each other, um, like back and forth. But also the pain that they've caused each yeah. other as well. It's so layered, I think. And they both ha deliver really amazing performances. I think Shia LaBeouf is actually incredible in this film. Um, not only because to take on the role of somebody that has caused you immense pain and immense you know, trauma in your own life and to then reenact that, but with such kind of care and sensitivity, I think is really, really kind of profound. And it's, there's, there's just something that must have been so difficult, but yes, yeah, so cathartic, as we've said, for, for Shire as a, as a, as a person. Um, but he delivers this really amazing performance and he never 
you know, you, you can see that his father at times was not a very nice man and had his own troubles and his own demons. But as I said, there's there's such a kindness to the portrayal of him as well. So you never believe him to be a monster. You you just see the layers of of this man who's had his own his own demons as well. Um and yeah, it's just I think it's really, really well well done. And and Noah Dupe is also amazing um in this. I think he's he's so full of energy and and just does the kind of there are certain moments that are clearly like reenactments of even Stevens or, you know, the the types of kids TV shows that um, Shia LaBeouf was doing when he was younger. And I think those really show Noah Dupes mm. kind of skill and, and his, um, the yeah, again, the layering of that performance, you know, yeah. understanding that he's mimicking somebody who was m- probably mimicking other people. And there's, yeah, there's that real kind of mimesis throughout that's... And, and a... <laughs> uncartoonish world weariness for yeah. a 12 year old like there are bits where he smashes open a pack of cigarettes and yeah, lights one up in front of his smoke. dad uh, <laughs> and like stares him out angrily and you believe it like mm. it does not look silly it's really impressive and their relationship is the core of this film mm. which in a way makes um, the stuff with Lucas Hedges playing the more modern Shire um, a little bit lacking for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if that is just because Shire is so impressive in that role as James that you feel him missing in those modern sections. Because yeah. um, I, I think Hedges, although like that, the idea of Shia LaBeouf in therapy writing this story out mm-hmm. should be fascinating. It's a little repetitive, I think. Yeah. And there's only so much you can really dramatise with that. Um, and so, yeah, Lucas Hedges just kind of occupies this, sec- this you know, section of the film that is returned to uh, which does, you know, r- symbolise Shire's time in therapy. But yeah, it's it, it, the scenes are just kind of it doesn't it's need more it. like a it's like a framing device more than yeah. yes. Yeah. And it's kind of going back to it over and over again. It's like you've kind of made the point at a certain stage. So, yeah. um, which is a shame because obviously Lucas Hedges is good, and um, I think towards the end he he comes back into it and sort of has a moment with Shire playing the dad, which. For me, it doesn't quite work in some yeah. ways. I think Jake likes yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of that and I wanted more of that. And I wanted this film to collapse in on itself and start bending around its own reality yeah. a lot more. Um, and when it did do that, I really enjoyed it. I um, think, yeah, for me, it went it went quite meta in a way that I think was slightly heavy handed considering the rest of the film had been dealt with so delicately and kind of, I think, had made the points without it needing to go that extra step. Mm. Um but yeah, but it's still it's still a very very touching film. Um, yeah, with lots lots of great performances, I think. Yeah, um, and also a really lovely score from Alex Summers, mm-hmm. who did a really really good score for Captain Fantastic a few years ago. Um, this one is op- occupying a similar kind of um, wavy ambient feel, but yeah. it's got these amazing mechanical sounds that um, ripple through it. Uh, big fan of that and of him. Uh, definitely one for fans of Am Harrell's film. Mm-hmm. If you've seen Bombay Beach or Love True um, or want to check out what Shia LaBeouf's up to, uh, post-American Honey as well. Um, on home cinema this week is, of course, So Long My Son. Uh, so make sure you check that out. There's also a film called Making Waves, uh, The Art of Cinematic Sound. For anyone interested in uh, learning a bit more about the importance of sound within the film world, certainly one to check out. Um, but that's about it for us this week if you've got any thoughts on honey boy or so long my son let us know by tweeting at curse and cinemas or you can tweet all of us directly i'm there is at jake h cunningham sam you are at sam howler underscore one kelly ks underscore pal and caitlin um at csa quinlan 
Excellent. Uh, and if it's your first time listening to the show and you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe on iTunes, Acast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And whilst you're there, if you could leave us a review or a comment, that would be absolutely lovely. Um, now, it it's time. We must say so long from us. <laughs> so long. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.